happening between the Proteas and Pakistan. Well, good news for the Proteas, I might tell you. They have posted 219 for 8 in their 50 overs. So Pakistan needing 220 runs for victory. Johan Leroux will give us uh, an update as Pakistan uh, get their run chase underway in just a few minutes from now. Also, we'll head to Roland Garros to get the latest from the French Open. Lots of quarterfinals taking place today. And the big news is that defending champion Novak Djokovic has crashed out in straight sets, losing uh, to Dominic Team. But uh, Chris Bowers will have all those details for us shortly as well. Bafana Bafana jetted off to Nigeria today after their final uh, training session on home soil and head coach Stuart Baxter is a relieved man. The squad heads to West Africa with a 25-man squad uh, with a nearly clean bill of health compared to how they started the week with seven players reportedly on the injury list. Baxter says Kermit Erasmus is uh, the only player right now who has uh, a bit of an issue. He's got a tummy ba- uh, stomach bug but Baxter says it's not too serious. It's, uh, it's a slight one but it's a concern he may not do the full session today so that we feel is the only one we've got going to Nigeria now we'll we'll manage him and we'll see how he goes and then that may affect my selection and it may not but uh, I think the lads have done very well very well in difficult circumstances Nigeria are or haven't lost in their last seven outings and Baxter says they are going to pose a stiff test for Bafana Bafana they are physical in their approach to the game, you know, they want to press the ball, immediately they lose the ball, they want to press it, they want to get in your face, they, I'm sure that the, the tempo of the game, they want, they want to drive it on, and so uh, I'm hoping that the, there will be a bit of that physicality about it, because I think then our mobility and our speed and our skill, I think will come to, its, uh, come to the fore was announced earlier today as well that Bafana Bafana will host Zambia in an international friendly on the 13th of June, that one to take place at the Moruleng Stadium. Sepana Letsuala struck twice as Baraka FC tops uh, the promotion playoff table after they beat Black Leopards by two goals to one earlier this afternoon. In rugby news, the British and Irish Lions lost their first of five tour matches in New Zealand. The uh, Lions went down 22-16 to the Blues at Eden Park earlier today. Meanwhile, the Western Force have agreed to enter into arbitration in their legal case with the Australian Rugby Union that over their possible axing from Super Rugby next season. In boxing news, the IBF have approved a rematch between Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko, but the fight needs to take place before the 2nd of December. And in motorsport news, the Isle of Man TT claiming yet another victim. British rider Davy Lambert has died in hospital following injury sustained during the race. And uh, stage four of the Criterium du Dauphiné, it uh, was Tony Martin who won the stage. It was a time trial today. And we'll have uh, all the full results for you towards the end of tonight's show. Let's head to Paris next. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, last night we reported that there was uh, a bit of rain around the Parisian capital, uh, which meant that uh, the men's quarterfinals that were scheduled for last night were carried over to today. And uh, the big one was defending champion Novak Djokovic in action against Dominique Thiem. Chris Bowers joins us now. Uh, Chris, Novak Djokovic, not in great shape, losing in straight sets. And uh, it's one thing losing in straight sets, but the way he lost, uh, losing that third set, six love. Uh, I mean, that's, it's been a long time since he, he lost the set six love uh, at, a, at a Grand Slam. 
Absolutely. Twelve years. Uh, nine, uh, 2005, I was against Gail Monfils, and he came, out, came back to win that match. He was the first set that he dropped uh, in that particular match. I mean, in a way, I feel a bit sorry for Dominic Team. This is a great breakthrough for him. It's not his first major final. He was a semi-finalist last year, but by the time he got to the semi, he was playing on empty against Djokovic and was just picked off easily. Now he's beaten Djokovic with a really good display, played the conditions which are cooler and gustier, so much better, and yet all the talk will not be about his victory. It'll be about Djokovic and the way he capitulated. He led 4-2 first set. He had two set points of 5-4 on the team serve. He played a bad tie break, uh, lots of errors. Um, when he put a backhand on, in the net at 6-5, dropping the first set. Then he dropped his first uh, service game of the second set. And from then on, although he tried to get back in the second, he looked to beat the man. And in the third set, well, his body language was that of somebody who just didn't want to be there. He was rushing. And it was just sort of um, a total contrast to the guy that won this title last year uh, to complete his set of majors and uh, to be the first man since 1969 to hold all four. Now he doesn't hold any of them. And, um, you know, it doesn't look like holding any in the near future. Strange indeed. So out on court at the moment, world number one, Andy Murray. He lost the opening set to Kaini Shikori, but he's uh, come back quite nicely. Yes, um, it was a very, very good first set by Nishikori. Murray not really into it, but Murray turned it round at the start of the second. They just had a very long third set, which went to the tiebreak, but Murray's just taken the tiebreak seven points to love, a little bit of self-destruction on the part of Kenny Shikori, who just has to work so hard when he gets to this stage of a of a major. I mean, they all have to work hard, but, you know, he's, he's one of the smaller guys. He's uh, uh, 178 or 5 foot 10, and, you know, I think he, he, he struggles um, against the bigger guys. Murray is uh, 191 or 6 foot 3, so, he, you know, I think he's up against it. Plus, Murray's played himself into form at this tournament, and, uh, you know, if, assuming Murray wins this, he'll play Stan Vavrinka in the semis. Vavrinka, very, very good in beating Marin Cilic. The one reservation was that the point that took um, Vavrinka to match point, he turned his ankle. He was coming in and played a lovely volley off a really well-constructed point. But as he came into the net, his, his foot didn't slide, and he just twisted the ankle. I hope nothing's going to come of that between now and Friday semis. I doubt it, but it's just something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been lots of talk in the build-up to today, essentially, that uh, the, the form that Rafael Nadal is in, and, and would it be Novak Djokovic to stop him? Obviously, it's not going to be, but he had, a, 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 I say, a fairly run-through in the quarterfinal. It's uh, obviously his countrymen retiring hurt. Do you think that's going to play into Dominic Team's favour in, in that semi-final, or, or is it that no, Rafa's going in well-rested? I don't think it'll play, I don't think it'll be an advantage or a disadvantage. What the big difference is that Nadal has played five players who are nothing like in the same league as the three guys left in the tournament. He's now going to have to play one or two matches. You know, if he beats team, um, the team's the one guy who's beaten him on clay this year. Okay, it was quarterfinals of Rome when perhaps Nadal was just starting to run, run out of a little bit of gas. But nonetheless, team played a really good match. And team is very good at learning from matches as to what he can do better next time. And if Nadal comes through that one, he'll play either Murray or Vavrinka. Now, my feeling is that Vavrinka has a better chance of beating Nadal than Murray does. Uh, Murray may well beat Vavrinka, but tennis is all about matchups. And in terms of whose game suits whose, I suspect that on clay, Vavrinka has a better chance of beating uh, Nadal. But, you know, for me, um, although Nadal is still the favourite and, you know, the clear favourite, I would say we've got two very, very evenly matched semi-finals and, 
you know, whoever wins, whatever the final is, you know, it could go either way. I don't think this is as much of a foregone conclusion as we've assumed it is, simply because Nadal's opposition level goes up to such an extent from now on. Absolutely. Let's talk about the ladies' quarterfinals that uh, took place today as well. Two, two interesting matches. Yes, um, one of them was fairly straightforward. I tipped Karolina Pliskova at the start of the tournament, and she's in the semi-finals, and people thought I was mad because she doesn't really move that well on clay. She doesn't slide, but she does what Maria Sharapova did for years. She just said, okay, I'm going to pretend this is a hard court, and as long as she feels okay in the way her feet are moving, uh, she's such a good ball striker that I, I always felt she could do some damage. So she came through against Caroline Garcia in two tight sets. That's the last of the French involvement in the singles finished. But the um, other one was an amazing match. It was Alina Svitolina, who won four titles this year and is leading the women's rankings on this year's results alone. Uh, a Ukrainian who's really coming into her own. And she, won, she led the first set against Simona Halep 5-1, eventually won it 6-3. She led the second 5-1. So she led 6-3, 5-1 and won just one more game after that. It was a remarkable turnaround. Nothing particularly sort of um, switched it. There was a match point for Svitolina at 6-5 in the second set tie break, but once she failed on that one, she uh, just lost her way, and Halep won the final set of six loves. So, in a way, Halep is the form player now in the semifinals, but um, Briskova striking the ball so well that uh, you've got the semi-final there of Halep Briskova and in the other half of the draw um, the 19-year-old Yelena Ostapenko um, will play Tamir Bashinsky. Now, what must Maria Sharapova who was denied a wild card into this tournament be thinking about that? She must surely be thinking if I was here I'd be in that semi-final. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm just uh, flicking through the doubles results as well. I see Martina Hingis uh, is still rolling back the years and still playing great tennis. They, they ease through to the semis today. Yeah, she's got, um, she's playing this year with Chan from China, and uh, it's a very good uh, doubles pair. And Yeah, I mean, in a way, what Hingis needs is a, a younger, hard-hitting player. Um, you know, Hingis will be um, 37 at the end of September. But, you know, we've seen Roger Federer winning the Australian Open this year. She can still play. She hits the ball beautifully, and... Um, uh, I love watching her play because she hits the kind of angles that you just don't see these days. Um, I think Martina Hingis sees shots that no one else sees, and um, it's wonderful just to see her, her playing. It's like a, sort of a, a grand master who can no longer play at their peak, but you still see what made them great. And almost the greatness shines through despite the fact that they're no longer the player they were. Yeah, and she's still loving her tennis indeed. Chris Niles, thank you very much for that. We'll have all the results for you tomorrow morning uh, on AM Live with Janet Whitten. Coming up next, we'll test some cricket. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. Well, the Proteas in action in their second uh, Group B clash of the 2017 ICC Champions Trophy at uh, Edgbaston in Birmingham against Pakistan. Avi Villiers won the toss earlier this afternoon and sent uh, and, and chose to bat. Is it the right decision? We'll know, I think, in 50 overs from now. It was almost like a home game for Pakistan, Johan Leroux. Lots of support uh, for, for our opposition and not the best of batting performances, if we have to be brutally honest. Yeah, it was uh, definitely not the best batting performance by the Proteas. In particular, that top four. And I think uh, the likes of Quinton de Kock, Hashim Amla, Faf Duplessis and Abi de Villiers, one of them should have at least gone on to just stick it out because they should have assessed the conditions early and seen that batting on the, the track at Edgbaston is tough. And uh, they really should have offered David Miller support. Uh, he was the only standout batsman for the Proteas. And he was the only one that really assessed the conditions quite well. He scored 75. It took him 104 deliveries, which is very uncharacteristic. 
characteristic of David Miller. He likes to bat quite quickly. And uh, he only hit uh, those three sixes towards the end of the innings, but he really got stuck in. And that was what was needed from the top four. So disappointing from the Proteas' point of view, but also credit to the Pakistan bowlers. They were outstanding. As soon as that bowling change came when Imad Wasim and Muhammad Afiz was brought on into the attack, they are the ones that caused all the trouble for the Proteas' uh, batsmen early on. And then Hassan Ali and Junaid Khan also picking up some wickets towards the end of the innings. Credit also to Safraz Ahmed, the captain. He used his bowlers extremely well and he continued putting pressure on the Proteas batsman. At one stage he brought in a slip quite late in the innings or, or at least halfway through the innings and, and JP Dumini was caught at slip and it's great aggressive thinking by the Pakistan captain and also you mentioned the crowd, it really did feel like the, the Pakistan team was, were playing at home and that's sometimes uh, what Pakistan need to kick themselves into gear we've always spoken about how unpredictable they are and uh, that is really what gave them the edge today but also given their unpredictability you never know what's going to happen with the bat and and if there's one team that South Africa can afford to score 219 against, it is probably Pakistan in this tournament because at some stage or another you do expect them to, to take the foot off the pedal and it's going to be key for the Proteas to pick up early wickets. Uh, the run chase has just got underway. Pakistan chasing 220 and uh, four deliveries and no run yet. So key for the Proteas is they need to use their, their speed bowl as well, uh, pace bowl as well early on. And then also Imran Tahir is going to be key on this wicket as well. It is turning a little bit. Uh, the groundsman wanted to use a different pitch for this game, but because of all the rain at Edgbaston, he was forced to use the same pitch that has been used for two matches already. So it should be breaking up a little bit more, and if someone can take advantage of those spinning conditions, it is going to be Imran Tahir. Yeah, you, you mentioned the role that the, the Pakistani spinners uh, played. So Imran Tahir is key to, to this game. He often uh, comes in the middle overs and, and wins games for the Proteas, but if uh, they are to be victorious today, he's going to be the man who, who, who's going to have to pull it off, I'm sure. Yeah, no, and, and he is always, A.B. de Villiers always says he is his go-to man. So uh, if the perhaps after 10 overs, if South Africa haven't picked up a wicket yet, I won't be surprised if Imran Tahir is uh, used as early as the, the 11th over right after that opening power play. And also I think J.P. Dumini has got a crucial role to play. I think if A.B. de Villiers and the team selectors could go back in time after having witnessed what they did witness in that first innings, they might have even decided to, to play Keshav Maharaj and, and leave someone like Mornay Morkel or even Wayne Parnell out of the mix for today, but uh, Wayne Parnell just been brought into the attack, and and perhaps he proves us all wrong, and uh, because he didn't have a good day with the bat, he was. Uh, dismissed for a golden duck, but perhaps it's an, his opportunity to shine with the ball. He also struggled in that opening game as well. Let's uh, let's hope you you're right, Juan. Thank you very much for that. We'll have updates uh, throughout the evening here on SAFM. Make sure you stay tuned. It is Pakistan two without loss after the first over. Coming up next, we'll chat to former Springbok Victor Matfield. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. Well, I mentioned last night, lots of sport to look forward to this weekend. Uh, and I love weekends like this, where all three of our big national teams in action, Bafana Bafana, the Proteas, and the Springboks, international rugby returning uh, as we take a break from Super Rugby. It is the Castellaga incoming tour, uh, the series against France, and the action coming to us this weekend from Loftus Fashfeld in Pretoria. And we join now by former Springbok legend, Victor Matfield. Uh, Victor, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap tonight. Thanks for, for joining us. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you guys. Victor, it's great to have uh, Bok Rugby on the on the horizon once again. Obviously, an important Test match this one against France, particularly with uh, what happened towards the end of uh, last season. Not a, not a great year for the Springboks, and they they want to get things off on a on a positive note in in 2017. 
Yes, I think we're all looking forward to the game on Saturday. Uh, last year we weren't the best of years for Springbok rugby, but um, I think we're all pretty excited about what's to come, and uh, I really believe uh, the Springboks are just too good not to turn it around. Let's just talk about some of the challenges, and, and particularly uh, recently. Uh, Dwayne from Mullen, who's who's been a pretty important part of, of SA Rugby for a while, he's not available for the series. He's in camp, but has picked up a, a shoulder injury, and he's not going to be uh, available for selection due to that injury. Big loss for Alistair Kutsia? Yes, I think he will be a big loss. I think um, not just his playing, but also his leadership. I think he would have been one guy that would have been there to uh, support uh, Warren Whiteley um, with the leadership, and he would definitely have to be part of that leadership group. So I think they're definitely going to miss him. Um, but again, that gives them some of the other guys uh, opportunity to show what they can do and um, to go out to perform for South Africa. His, his uh, absence also leaves a, a pretty big gap from a, from a physical point of view. Dwayne Vermeulen obviously stamps his authority on, on matches, and he's, and he's very physical up front. Do you think that's going to be a, a huge loss? It, it obviously puts a bit more pressure on someone like perhaps Ivan Etzebeth, who, who also plays a, a very physical style and brand of rugby? Yes, I don't think it will be that big a loss, just his physicality. Yes, he's very physical, but I think there's... Uh, other players in the group that can be very physical as well. So I think it's probably going to be more his experience and his back leadership that I talked about uh, that's going to be missed. But um, he's playing a fantastic player. But uh, I think injuries are part of our game and um, they just have to get in the next higher to step in and do the job. Victor, let's talk 9 and 10, the importance of uh, a sort of halfback pairing and, and the way they control a game. I think that was... Uh, one of one of the, the the places that we really struggled last year. Uh, what are your thoughts in, in in sort of scrum half, fly half at the moment? Where where do you see Alistair going? And uh, yeah, I mean he's, he's he's in a tough position. Yes, I think Elton has showed again um, in Super Rugby what he can do, and at this stage he's definitely the informed fly half. Um, we'll just have to wait and see if they allow him to play the way he wants to play. Um, I think if you want to put Alton deep in the pocket and just let him kick for territory, uh, then you probably need to look at another uh, player in that position. But, um, yeah, I, I would like to see Ross Cronier playing with Alton. Uh, Franchise has a fantastic scrum off, but I think he only joined the group uh, yesterday or on Sunday or even yesterday, I think. So I'll bring Franchise off the bench if I was the coach. But, um, yeah, I think that 8, 9, 10 combination uh, with Warren and Elton will help Ross a lot and uh, give him an opportunity to um, express himself. Been some problems with, with regards to injury in, in the midfield as well. Obviously, uh, some of the, the, the informed players, I, I think, of, of the likes of Lionel Mapu, who wasn't included in that squad, uh, first of all, but was drafted in because of injury. He's definitely one of the informed centres, but, but he's uh, been ruled out also uh, due to injury. Uh, midfield, a uh, concern for you? Um, not really. I think, again, we've got, uh, they brought back Franz Staines, who's got a lot of experience if they want to pick him. And then uh, they've got uh, Jan Fairfontein there that's, uh, that has played 24, 26 tests already, and uh, JC Creel that we're outstanding at the World Cup. So we've got talented players there. Uh, yes, they, Jan and JC is playing in a bullseye and struggling at the moment, so it can't be very easy for them. But um, they're talented players, and they've shown that they can do the job at test level, otherwise they wouldn't have had 10 caps or 26 like Jan has 
gotten so far. So um, I think, again, he's got all the talent. And if you want to play experience, you've got France staying there that has won a World Cup 10 years ago. And um, he's got all the experience. He's played all over the world. And he's a classy player as well. Victor, as far as the opposition, the, the French team that's, that's touring, your thoughts on, on them and the danger they pose? Yes, if you look at the French, they definitely on the up. I think in the Six Nations, they were a big threat for all the teams. They almost beat England at Twickenham. So um, they will be coming over here. I think uh, in the past, we always talked about the French flair. I don't think that's the way they will come out and play. Uh, they're very set-piece uh, dominant, and um, their scrum is a real threat for us, I think. Uh, they'll come with a big onslaught on at scrum time, and they're a very physical team. Uh, they do have big wingers as well, so they'll try and get those wingers into the game uh, probably more closer to the ruck than out wide. So um, they do uh, have a few talented players in their midst, and um, that's going to be a great test for us. And Loftus Fasfelt, uh, a ground that you've spent uh, many, many hours at. Uh, you probably spent more time at Loftus than you have at home, I think. But uh, the, the role that's going to play on Saturday, playing uh, at altitude as well, do you think uh, hometown advantage is going to play a, a big role for the box? Yes, I think altitude aren't going to help us too much because they've trained at Plex for the last two weeks. Uh, so they'll probably feel it a little bit as well. Um, but in front of the home crowd, you always... 10-20% better, so I really believe uh, the home ground advantage should pull us through, the support should pull us through, and that's just fantastic to play in front of a great crowd. Yeah, and let's hope uh, that the, the, the Blue Bull faithful have, have got something to shout about on, on Saturday. They haven't had the best of Super Rugby season, and let's hope the, the box can do them proud, and, and the rest of the country. I think we're, we're in for a great series. Yes, I think we're all looking forward to the box doing really well, and we're all behind them, and we want them to win. Victor, thank you very much for your time this evening. Enjoy the match on the weekend, uh, and, and let's hope it's a positive one and a positive series for, for Alistair Kutsi and the Springboks. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Cheers. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, and you may recall last week we caught up with uh, a group of intrepid individuals who were cycling all the way from Cape Town to Peter Maritzburg ahead of this year's Comrades Marathon, all part of a challenge called the Unagwaja Challenge. And uh, yeah, fascinating story, lots of history behind it. And uh, we spoke to them uh, as they were cycling. But the good news is uh, the race is now done. Uh, they're off their bicycles. And uh, we thought we'd catch up with uh, Miguel Neto once again. Miguel, w- welcome back onto SAFM Sports Wrap. Uh, congratulations on completing yet another Unaguaja Challenge. Uh, yeah, you're an absolute machine. Thank you very much. And, uh, it's very nice to chat to everyone again. Um, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate the support I got from everyone. Before we talk about the, the challenge as a whole, I just think personally for you, you after after nine days of cycling from from Cape Town all the way to Pyramidsburg, you went and ran a nine-hour, eight-minute uh, comrades marathon, personal best. That, that's ridiculous. I cannot wrap my head around that. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've told a few people the same thing. I was I was still tr- trying to wrap my own head around it. I just uh, I just had a good day at the office. I think um, the team was in a was in a good way, so. Um, we didn't need to move many people home, um, and uh, I, I just had a good day. I, when I say good, it, it was good time-wise, but it was a, it was a big, big struggle. The body was uh, the body was pushing back, obviously after so much cycling, and um, and the heat obviously played a massive role. But um, what a day, what a race, and uh, that's why they call it the comrades. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible event, and I watched it from start to finish. You were one of the guys that I was tracking on the, the Comrades Marathon app. But from a, an entire team perspective, how did the, the rest of uh, Team Unaguaja go in 2017? So we, um, the, uh, on the morning of the race, we, we were we were a bit of a wounded camp. We, we did take a few knee, uh, knee niggles into it. Um, there was a few um, a, a, a few people who were kind of worried about the day. Um, I think from a from an overall perspective, uh, we can say mission accomplished. We, uh, we we got most of them home. Unfortunately, two of the team uh, were, were didn't make cutoffs. Um, as I say, for various reasons, one being. Uh, Simply just the knees gave in, but in saying that, um, went into the race with sore knees and still made it to over 70 k's and then got cut off. It's it's, it's something. It's probably uh, uh, the ultimate human effort just doing that alone. I mean, not being able to walk on the start line and get into 70 k's. So proud of everyone um, and super super happy that that the mission was accomplished. And as a team on Monday morning, we sat in the in the Ilangeni in Durban, and we were super proud. There were a lot of tears, a lot of emotions, and uh, a very, very proud group. Miguel, I mean, that's one thing about Comrades. It's, as much as it's a physical challenge, it's, it's a very mental challenge as well. And, and I know, I mean, to, to get to Comrades is a, is a huge effort in itself, but uh, to get there by bicycle and starting the race not in, in peak condition where you, you are feeling quite fatigued, uh, Tell me what, what goes through your mind on the start line. I mean, that starts pretty emotional with uh, the National Anthem, Chariots of Fire, Shoshaloza, but knowing that you've overcome what you've overcome in the last sort of uh, week and a bit, and now you have to run all the way to Pimarisburg, it, it must be pretty daunting. It is very daunting. Um, I actually spoke to the team on the morning of Comrades, and I said to them, you guys have come this far, and you've deserved to be here now. What you're about to experience in the next uh, hour of your life is going to be truly special. So although we stand on the start line, fatigued, um, sore in places, uh, kind of worried about what the body's going to do in the day. The start of the comrades and those, 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 those 50 minutes before, you just simply can't hold back the tears. And as you say, having, having cycled across our beautiful country and doing a race that signifies our country so much, um, it's incredible. It really is incredible. And uh, I, for one, had, uh, had many tears rolling down my cheeks and standing there with, with my team members, um, Absolutely proud. Proud to be part of an Aguaja and super proud to be South African. Miguel, that was number three for you. Uh, and I know it's, it's probably not a good time on the Wednesday after Comrades to ask someone <laughs> if they're going back. But uh, is there going to be a number four and beyond? It's, um, uh, it's, it's, not a, it, it's only Wednesday and I've been asked the question a few times. Um, I haven't got a yes or no answer for you. Um, I'm definitely not saying no. Um, I, I, I will be around Unaguaja for a long time to come, hopefully forever, um, that I can. Um, there is, a, there is some talk about it, um, but, uh, only time will tell. So all I can say is, watch the space, but, um, I will be in, involved with Unaguaja in one way or another, whether I'm riding on the support crew, um, behind the scenes, but i if, if I had my way, I would say yes. <laughs> Miguel, if people want to find out more about the Unagwaja Challenge, we mentioned the, the big charity angle, and, and that's why you do it, is to, to uplift the communities you, you end up cycling through. If you want to find out more about it and possibly apply to be on Team Unagwaja for 2018, where can they go and get more details? Absolutely. So now's the time. Uh, obviously, this, this, this year's team has put their money where their mouth is, so... First of all, the the donations are still open for 2017. Um, so we, uh, if anyone was worried about us not making it, we, we we made it. I urge people to help us rack up this year and get as much money in as possible. And then, as, as you say, the entries 
there'll be a promo video coming out um, hopefully this week or beginning of next in terms of the 2018 team. And then you can just get onto the com website um, and there will be a 2018 um, ticket at the top. You can just express your interest. And I, I think early July will the official entry forms will come out. And I urge everyone to, to get in there and, and get their entries. It's, um, I express in words how special this is. I've been there three times. Um, and as, as you said, I mean, I'd, I would love to go back and I'd love to do this forever. It is truly a remarkable journey of the heart. Well, McGowan, I have to tell you, I'm too scared to go onto that website in case I slip and enter by accident because I know what's going to happen. I, I see things like this. I watched all those videos of you you guys making your way to Maritzburg, and uh, okay. I'm truly inspired. If, if people haven't checked those YouTube videos out, they definitely must. And uh, if you have any inclination that you'd like to be part of Unagwaja 2018, uh, the website to get to once again, unagwaja.com. Miguel Neto, congratulations once again on, on an incredible achievement, uh, and we look forward to, to catching up in the future. Thank you so much for having me and following the journey so closely and bringing it across. And just on your on your last topic there, um, I, as Miguel Neto, the three-time in the Gaja, am daring Brad Brown to enter for 2018. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a few serious chats, Migs. We're gonna we're gonna definitely have a, a chat or two, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, we look forward to it. I, I'm definitely gonna be back at Comrades 2018. Whether I cycle to Peter Maritzburg or not is a whole other story. But we'll 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 chat about it. We'll have a chat. <laughs> SAFM Sports Wrap And that's it for the show for this evening Just a quick cricket update for you Pakistan currently 27 without loss That uh, after 4.3 overs uh, Make that 31 as uh, Kahisa Rabada gets smashed uh, Just in front of backward points It is 31 without loss So Pakistan chasing 220 for victory Stay tuned to South Africa's news and information leader For updates throughout the evening on that clash from Edgbaston Don't forget if you'd like to be in touch Please email us Sport at safm.co.za That's how you can get in touch with the executive producer You can also tweet us or pop us a message on Facebook Just search for SAFM Radio across those various platforms You can touch base with me personally as well at Big Brad Brown. Coming up on the other side of seven o'clock, it is the talk shop with Naledi Malo. Lots to talk about tonight as well, so make sure you stay tuned. Before then, though, we've got uh, your latest news and some big stories as well. Obviously, the storm in the Western Cape, uh, big cold front coming through and moving across the country. Wherever you are, I hope you're safe and warm, and we look forward to catching up again tomorrow evening for the PSL radio show Second Jalo with Dwayne Belocker. I'll be back tomorrow afternoon on PM Live. Janet Whitten will have more sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live. From myself, Brad Brown, and my producer, Siobhan Chetty, thanks for listening. It is 7 o'clock.